you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. All right, now uh, let's let's get to work. Uh, we, we've we've got uh, an exciting, uh, monumental moment happening today. We're in a new chapter in the Gospel of John. Um, sort of, because um, we are going to be in thirteen. I prom- I promised you last time I was here that we were done, and we are, but we're not. And so uh, we're going to get into John, but we're going to, you'll see in a minute. Um, but we, we are in the, in the Gospel of John, we're getting to chapter 13, which means that we're reaching uh, really an, an amazing moment in this Gospel, and that is the Last Supper. If you read out of the New American Standard Bible, there is grace for you. And uh, you'll notice in your Bible, it actually heads this, this portion, this chapter, with the Last Supper. Uh, John's Gospel is unique, we've talked about this before, John's Gospel is unique in the way it presents events to the point at which uh, biblical scholars lump Matthew, Mark, and Luke together in what are called the synoptic gospels. They give a synopsis of the life of Jesus. And John sort of takes a different road. John's, John's, John's John. And he's, uh, he's a little different. And so he sort of weaves around and, and takes different approaches. And, and, and one of the unique things about the gospel of John, the way I put it is that it compresses as it reaches the end. And what I mean is that, that, it actually begins to share more details and more things get put in. The first few chapters of John cover years, and the last few chapters cover days. And so we're now reaching this, this last supper moment, and John gives us a unique aspect of what happens at the Last Supper. So if you've got your Bibles or a smartphone or a tablet or whatever you read the Bible on or the Sky Bible, let's go to John chapter 13, verse 1, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We love the Bible, amen? We love it, we love it, we love it. I am so grateful for the word. We read out of the ESV around here because it's the elect standard version. Um, You can read out of whatever inferior translation you want, but it'll be easier at this moment if you follow along out of the ESV. So here's what it says. It says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world's to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, that is Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that, that you, you do speak today and that you have spoken. And that how you, most often, how you speak today is by breathing life on what you have spoken. 
And so we come to you today, God, asking just for that, that you would breathe life upon this word that we have just read. We boldly, and and, and I'll even say for myself, out of desperation, declare that we need to hear you speak today. God, we need to to sure and a a solid and a steadfast word to build not only our days upon, but our lives upon, Lord. Lord, we are inundated. We are flooded. We are... We are in a tsunami of information in our day. And we, in, in one sense, we, 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 we thank you for that, that we have access to so much information. But in another sense, Lord, we, we are so desperately in need of truth in the midst of all the facts that are presented to us. And so, God, we ask that your voice would cut through the noise today. That your word would come alive in the hearing of your people, your people that know you're your, they're your people and, and your people that don't yet know that you're, they're your people. That both your enemies and your family today, God, would hear the sweet whisper of your voice. And having heard that whisper, Lord, you would, you would mingle like you do in the midst of your word, in the midst of our hearing, God, you would mingle faith with what it is that we hear, that it, we might receive it, that it might bring forth a response of obedience in the hearts of your people, that we might walk and talk and live like Jesus in the earth today. For your glory and for the good of all people, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, go ahead, high five, fist bump, elbow, tap somebody and grab a seat real fast. Amen, amen. We, we have just entered into the final intimate moments that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. This is a, this is a significant and profound uh, portion of scripture, pretty familiar to the, uh, the regular average church goer. If that's not you, that's fine. Uh, you're, you're welcome to, to just sort of jump in along in the story with us. This, this story involves... Um, one of, of super complex dynamics taking place. We have Peter's response to the washing of feet that's about to happen. We've got Judas's betrayal about to happen. We have a new commandment that Jesus is going to give us. He, we, ha- we have all this stuff, and, and, and I don't want to talk about any of that today. I, I want to talk about Jesus. And so if you're taking notes, I, w- I want to talk under the title, under the heading, uh, Sons of Light. Sons of light. I want to talk to us about the son of light this morning. Jesus is the, is, the, is the point. Jesus is the focus of this story. So I want to look at that. I want us to see that Jesus, in this story, he, Jesus loved, Jesus served, and Jesus was humble. We, we recognize the, the, the profound nature of this, that, that you are more desperately loved than you are aware. 
And that that love that Jesus has for you is not just a love of affection, but it's a love of action. That, that his love actually propelled him towards service. That this, this affectionate action is the very foundation of the incarnation where, where God humbles himself, takes on the form of man, and comes and serves those, come on, that had rejected and rebelled against him. And I don't want to talk about any of that this morning. What I want to do, what I want to take the time to do is I want to understand the thing that's underneath what Jesus was doing. I, I, I need us to grasp how it is that Jesus, and, and the text alludes to this, knowing what he was about to go through. He was fully aware of the moments that awaited him, and yet this seems to be his response how is it that Jesus responds this way with, with these events coming up in front of him? How is it that Jesus is able to love and to serve and to humble himself when he knows in just a matter of hours the suffering, the passion that he's about to walk through? How is it? What's, what's underneath that? Let me say it this way. What did Jesus know that produced this kind of love and service and humility? Because we're going to see in a moment. Fast forward. Don't, don't go there yet. Fast forward. We're, we're going to see here in just a second that Jesus says that he didn't just do this so that you would look at him and see how awesome he is. Do we look at Jesus in the story and see how amazing he is? Amen, absolutely, yes. But there's something else at play here because Jesus is about to tell us, don't go there yet, Jesus is about to tell us that he did this for you and I to follow in his example. So we have to understand the undergirdings, the, the substructure, the footing that was inside of Jesus that allowed him to do this. If we're called to follow his example, how do we follow this example? I think we read it in the text in verse 3. So if you still got your Bible open, that's cool. If not, just, just hear this again. Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus understood this. Jesus knew something. John shares this with us as a precursor to what John, Jesus is about to do. I want to summarize this by saying that Jesus was secure in his identity and in his authority. Jesus was secure. He was stable. He was solid in both his identity and in his security. This is so important because, I, and we'll, we'll unpack this more in the weeks to come, but, but please track with me. Jesus didn't do any of the things that he did in order to earn or merit or prove anything about himself. This text, I don't know if you know this, this, this story is used in secular leadership training to teach something called servant leadership. Has anybody heard this? Servant leadership. I, I'll talk more to you <clears throat> about what I think about servant leadership later um, in, in weeks to come, but, but, but let me just say this right now up front. This is not the point of the story. Can we learn things about servant leadership from the story? Absolutely. But that is not why Jesus did what he did. For, for those of you who are unfamiliar, servant leadership is the idea that if we're going to be true leaders and we want people to follow us, we need to be servant. We need to serve those that we seek to follow us. And that's absolutely a good principle, but, but please hear me. 
Jesus was not saying, well, I really hope these guys pick me to be their rabbi. I really hope these guys will follow me as I set an example. No, 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 no. He was, he was doing what he was doing out of the security, out of what he already possessed. Because he already had the authority, because he already knew who he was, he was able to do all of the, the, the love, the serve, the humility. He was able to walk this out. He was able to respond this way. And both of these things, his identity and his authority, come from and are tied to his relationship with God as his personal father, or what, 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 Paul, what Peter would later, sorry, what Paul would later call the, the, use the term Abba, which we would use the term Papa or, or Dad. He understood a, his, his relation, how he related to the Father, uh, related to God, was his Father. Both of these things we see, we see in verse 3 here. Both of these things flow out of he, he knew who God was as Father. He didn't just know him as deity. He didn't just know him as judge. He didn't just know him as sovereign. He didn't just know him as, 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 as supplier, as, as provider. Is God all of those things? Yes and amen. But the scandalous, shocking revelation that Jesus came to show was that God, come on, in his true nature, relates to us and wants to be known by us as Father. This is the thing that shocked the world in Jesus' day. That Jesus would dare relate to this one that they, they knew in all of these, listen, 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 they knew in all of these biblical ways and Jesus said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not diminishing any of that. I'm showing you how broad the nature of God is by showing you that he's all of those things and all of those things flow out of and come out of the very reality of his identity, of his, of his nature as our father. So Jesus relates to God in this way. So Jesus knows Jesus knew that he was son because God was his father. I know this is way too simple for you, but you need to get this. Jesus knew that he was his son because he knew God was the father. Jesus didn't do what he did, I, I mentioned this already, to earn or merit or prove anything. Rather, come on, he, he did it because of what he already possessed. His identity as a son was not built upon actions nor upon attitudes, but rather upon his association or his relationship with abiding in the Father. We see this at the very baptism of Jesus. Before, listen, listen, catch this, please. Don't miss this part. Jesus is baptized at the beginning, right before, rather, the, the beginning of his ministry on earth, the, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the teachings, the, the, the good deeds, all of those things. Before all of that happens, he goes and he's baptized. And in his baptism, the Father rips apart the sky, tears asunder the heavens just to send a message to his son. And that message is, you are my beloved son and I'm pleased with you. And we go, but he hadn't done anything yet. He, he's built some furniture, maybe. Framed a house or two. He's just, he's just done a job. What do you mean? What do you mean, God, that you're pleased with him? And, and God is trying to say, listen, you are my beloved son. Apart, you, you have to have the security before you can do all the things. Or else doing all the things isn't actually doing all the things. 
Listen, if you love and you serve and you try to humble yourself in order to earn some sort of place in people's lives, in the, in the heart of the Father, any of those things, then, then there, is a, there is a false motive mixed with your heart. But Jesus doesn't serve, doesn't love, doesn't humble himself out of any of these things. He does it because he already knows, come on, that God is his Father and therefore he's Son. Who God is determines who I am, not the other way around. Oh, if, the, if, if y'all could actually believe that for a second. You know, you, know that, you know that most of the time we don't actually believe that, right? You think how you, who, how you are changes who God is. I can prove it to you. You think every time you sin, God suddenly becomes angry at you all of a sudden. Like you have the capacity to change the heart of God. I, I'll never forget. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to oust myself here for a second. I remember when, when our, our kids were really, really young. Now they're like little monsters. But uh, they, I think culturally we call them teenagers, but same thing. Uh, and uh, I remember when they were really little, I, I asked my mom something. I, I said, Mom, um, I'm really struggling because I, I don't think I'm doing this parenting thing right. Because when my two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old, I don't remember what age, you know, that, that, that sort of like terror toddler thing was happening I said, they get really mad, they get really upset, and they scream and they yell and they holler and they throw a temper tantrum and they run off to their room and I just can't help but laugh. Like, they're really angry and, and I just think it's hilarious. And she goes, yes, yeah, sweetie, that's, that's parenting. That's totally normal. They, they're, they're angry about whatever and they run off and they do that. I said, wow, that's, that's weird. I, I didn't realize that. And she goes, well, here's the truth, sweetie. Uh, when you did that when you were 15 and you punched holes in the walls, you ran into your room, I did the same thing. That's not fair, Mom. <laughs> See, God as Father doesn't react, come on, to our temper tantrums the way we think he does. Does he see our immaturity? Absolutely. Does he want to bring us into maturity? Absolutely. Does he bring correction to that? Absolutely. But does his heart toward us change? Absolutely not. You are more desperately, profoundly, and significantly loved than you are aware. Jesus understood the, the security of who he was was based upon the Father, not himself. I, I, I want to make sure that we get this because this is something that, at least for me, man, changed the way I relate to God. And, and that it was this simple, simple word the Lord dropped in my heart a few years ago. I've shared it here before. But that you are, you are called in Scripture, beloved, you are not called lovely. You are called beloved, you are not called lovely. What, what's the difference? Lovely is, is, lovely is how you appear. Come on. Lovely is how you behave. Beloved is who you are. Which means that even in moments where you are far from lovely. Hello, somebody. Any married people want to back me up on this one? Come on. Even in moments where there is not loveliness, there still must be a foundation of beloved. God calls his son beloved. You need to, you, if, if, if God thought it so important to crack open heaven to send a text message to Jesus, come on, how much more do we need to receive that same thing? Before you've done anything, before you've achieved anything, before you've, you've accumulated some sort of resume that should earn you a place, no, 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 before any of that, he goes, you're, you're mine, come on, you belong to him, and your identity is Beloved, and his attitude towards you is 
pleased. Have to learn this. We have to get this. So he, he was secure in his identity. Part of that is his sonship. There's another piece of this, though, that's alluded to here in, the, in, in verse 3, and that is that he knew his citizenship was in a superior kingdom. It says he knew that he, had, he, that, that he had come from God and was going back to God. I want to say this right now. We, we are citizens, come on, of a superior kingdom. I think this is so, uh, I mean, y'all should understand this. I don't plan out what text is going to fall on what Sunday because I'm not smart enough to do that. But isn't it interesting that this little piece of, of, of truth would land on the 4th of July? So let me just make sure I have equally offended everybody in the room real fast. It is super cool and trendy right now to bash the country we live in. Talk about all of her real problems. Come on. All of her real shortcomings, all of her real issues. It's really, 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 really kind of acceptable right now. This is a shift, come on, in my lifetime at least, to go from, from being, you know, the, from, from, from being sort of default position of some sort of pride toward the country that we live in to now sort of the hip, trendy thing is to sort of not be proud of where we live because of our very real problems, past, present, and possibly future. And what I want to say is, as a Christian, that is not, an, as a Christ follower, as a redeemed son of God, that is not an appropriate attitude that you are to have. Because Jeremiah 29.7 says that it is your responsibility as the people of God to seek the good of the city that you live in. So we ought to be those the most in society, in culture, in the midst of the world, the nation, the, the times that we live in. We ought to be those the most seeking the most good for the place that we live. That is what we are called fundamentally to do. That's, that's, that, that, that's not my opinion. That's just the Bible. In the same breath. If you tie your hope to some sort of religious nationalism, you have fallen off the trail on the other side. Because, because all throughout the New Testament, I'll give you one just because this is where I'm studying right now in my own devotional times. 1 Peter 2.11, he calls us sojourners. This nation is not your ultimate citizenship. We have a kingdom, come on, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So our hope and our, our assurance and our rest and our abiding and, 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 and where our lives ought to be hidden is in a kingdom that is far superior to the citizenship nationally that we have. So seek the good, but don't put your hope in the nation you live in. Have I equally offended everyone in the room? I hope so. Because listen, we, we are not called to live under the limitations and, and restrictions of the systems and structures that we find ourselves in. Because again, I'm going to keep saying it, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let me, let me pastor you for just a moment here. It, there, there's a grace that comes through that truth into the hearts of God's people. Here's the grace. When stuff in the world starts to shake, and anything in you in response begins to shake, that's the grace of God showing you an area that you have planted in the world and not in the kingdom. 
So when the financial markets go topsy-turvy and you freak out over your finances, I love you, it's because you're trusting the system of this world for your provision and not the kingdom. When the news says that young people are all going sideways and, and changing things that we didn't used to change and altering things we didn't used to alter and, and abandoning this and abandoning that, and you think, oh, well, then my kids are going to go that way, you're raising your kids in a mindset, in a system, in a structure of this world and not in the kingdom. When false reports, and they are false, by the way, come out and say that the, the divorce rate is the same inside the church as it is outside the church, and you go, well, then maybe my marriage is going to fall apart. And that shakes inside of you. You're basing your marriage, come on, in the systems of this world and not in the kingdom. And if you want to learn how to do all of that, how to, how to transfer all that, it's not just a, okay, mentally I'm going to say I'm going to do that. There, there, are, there are practical means, come on, by which God calls us to plant our lives in the kingdom. Let, let, let's go back through these real fast. Finances. How do, you, how do you bury your finances in the kingdom and not in the world? Through regular, consistent, faithful generosity into the, into the kingdom and the work of God. I, 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 I don't, I, this is not a, a ploy to get more money. This has nothing to do with that. People say this all the time. New, new, new believers, new, new, or not even new believers, but, but people that kind of come and check out the church. They go, man, the church, man, the church I, can't, I can't get in with the church because the church just wants my money. Let me clarify something. I want way more than just your money. Jesus wants way more than just your money. See, when, when we, why, why do we teach on giving here as a church? Because we're trying to get something to you, not something from you. We're trying to teach you how to build your finances, come on, into the kingdom. So that when the financial markets of the world go topsy-turvy, you don't have to, nothing, nothing shakes inside of you. Let, let's, let's, let's get this down more where we live. When your boss says they can't pay you anymore and you got to go find another job, nothing shakes inside of you. When you don't make the sales that you needed to make to get the paycheck you needed to meet the, 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 the finances that you need, nothing shakes inside of you. Here, here we'll, go real, we'll go real good. When you miss the mortgage payment, nothing shakes inside of you. How do we build our marriages into the kingdom? We go to the scriptures and we say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. We go, hey, we have a role to play here. I have a, I have a part to play in my marriage. I have a, I have a, I have a responsibility, and I'm going to do my part by the grace of God, and I'm going to see my marriage thrive. This isn't rocket surgery, okay? How do, how do, we, how do we make sure our kids don't go sideways? Listen, all, all we can do is what the Scriptures tell us to do. Train up a child in the way that they should go when they're little, young, and they won't depart from it. We trust the Lord in the midst of all of it. We do our part, and we trust him through all of it. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are you seeing the thread through all this? How do you bury your life? How do you bury every aspect of your existence in the kingdom? You trust Jesus. And you show that trust by obeying what he says. We, we, this, this, is, this, is a, this is a good channel in our church, but let's, let's go back to it and just drag through the tool one more time to make sure it's there. Our part is obedience. His part is outcome. I, I don't worry about outcome. I just worry about obedience. Jesus knew his citizenship, come on, was in the kingdom. Amen? I said he, he was secure in his identity and his, his authority. His authority, Jesus rested in what he received. This is so good, beloved. Jesus rested in what he received. 
Verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. Real fast, not going to get too deep into Greek here, but, but, but all things and hands are important here. When you dive into this word, all things, it, it does mean all things. It means all, the whole, nothing but. The, it literally encompasses the universe, all flesh, everyone, and everything. That is to say, the fullness of God's cosmic creation. Hands are so important. I, I, I keep threatening to do a whole message or a whole series on just hands in the Bible. Because there's so much truth that's in the scriptures as it relates to our hands but just this one greek word for hands means the person the power the control the rule authority and dominion that is the totality of one's authority is tied up in hands do you now understand why we ask you to raise your hands in worship you're saying god you can have all of my power all of my whatever pathetic little means i have it's all yours and so when you put this together, that the Father had given all things into his hands, what it means is that the Father had granted to the Son the authority to execute perfect dominion over the totality of his cosmic creation. I'm going to read that one more time. The Father granted to the Son the authority to exercise perfect dominion over the totality of his cosmic creation. Let me read to you one of uh, a good scholar uh, to, to, to dig into, uh, Abraham Kuyper. He said it this way. You might be familiar with this. There is not a square inch in the whole, uh, in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. No aspect of your life is outside of the authority of Jesus. Jesus owns everything. To put it another way, it's all about Jesus. Everything in your life finds its genesis in him. That's what John 1 says. In the beginning... He created, it was Jesus was there, he was, he was the word, come on, that was the, 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 the springboard for all of creation. And I find this amazing, that, that he is the genesis of all creation, and yet he submits himself to the Father who then gives him that authority back. Jesus rested in this though. He didn't strive for it. He didn't seek it. He didn't seek to prove it. He didn't seek to earn it. He didn't seek to merit it. He just Received it. Hmm. He accepts this role from the Father. What, what do you have for me, Father? And I'm just going to walk in obedience to that. The authority, the capacity that you give me, that's going to be what I do. He rests in it. Jesus received knowing God only gives, come on, good gifts. He can we can rest when we know. We can receive when we know that our God is a good God. Come on. We sang about it this morning. Don't bail on me now. His goodness, come on, is running after me. That's not just, that's not just poetic language. That's Bible. Psalm 23. They, the, the goodness of God literally chases after his people. Now, now, here's the part that preachers never talk to you about, though. 
often God takes a good gift because he only and ever gives good gifts. But he takes good gifts and he hides them in places nobody would go looking for them. Let me put it another way. God likes to wrap precious things in newspaper. My, my father-in-law is hilarious. He, he, he sends my kids these presents uh, for Christmas and their birthday. And what he does is he, he, he goes out and buys them a bunch of, of stuff, candy and toys and, and different things. And he wraps all of them in, in individually in like 30 layers of newspaper and then wraps all of that in, 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 a, in, in, in wrapping paper. So the first time one of my kids got these, I was very confused because they rip out the wrapping paper and it's just newspaper. <laughs> it just looked like my father-in-law sent 30 pounds of newspaper to my kids. And it took some, listen, it took some digging through to find the gift inside. I'm not going to stand up here as, as some sort of uh, passing along uh, doesn't have to deal with your actual life preacher and say, God only ever gives you good things. Everything you're ever going to get from God is good. Vote for Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus doesn't need your vote. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. That good thing that God has for you may come in the hardest, most difficult, most painful, most isolating, most dark and dreary moment of your life. But what God hides in that moment is always and only good. I think of the parable that Jesus, Jesus teaches. He says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. The Bible says that a guy comes across the treasure and he, he, he buries it again and he goes and he sells everything he has so he can buy, listen, this is what the scriptures say, the field. Not the treasure. He has to buy the field. See, we want the good, but we don't want the field. <laughs> but here's the truth. Are you ready? Here's the truth. When you buy the field for the treasure, this is so not good. When you buy the field for the treasure, you always get more field than you get treasure. But the treasure is hidden there for those willing to go looking for it. And I'm here to declare to you, you're the people that will go looking for it. You won't get lost in the field. You'll find the treasure. Jesus could rest knowing that whatever the Father gave him, come on, whatever the Father gave was good because God was good and nothing comes out of God that is not good. Why is this so important for us to get? Why, is, why do we need to understand the substructure in Jesus' heart? Why is it that, why is it that it's so important? Because listen, I, and I'm going to, and we're going to get there, and it's important to do this. We could just sit back this morning and look at the nature of Jesus, look at the character of God, look at the heart, look at the actions, look at the attitude of Jesus, and just stand in awe and in wonder of, his, of the reality of who he is. And that is appropriate in many, if not most, of the texts in Scripture uh, that, that, that reveal God's nature to us. But, but here's the problem. Here's, here's what we've been looking at. Right, John 3, John 13, 3 through 4. It'll eventually get there, I promise. 
says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So, so right, right, we tracked with that. That's the identity and security of Jesus that he knew he had because of the, because of the Father, right? Uses, uses that terminology. The Father, God, we get it all. He laid aside his outer garments and taking up a towel, tied it around his waist. So this is the actions that he's taking. And here's why it's important that we understand the substructure to it. Because in a few months, we're going to get to verse 15. And there Jesus says this, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So if all we do is stand in awe of how awesome Jesus is at loving and serving, come on, and being humble, but we don't understand how he got there, then we, we fundamentally have to realize that us following him and his example is impossible. And so therefore what we end up doing is we end up, I love you, we end up just putting on a religious fake mask and pretending like we love people and pretending like we're serving people and pretending like we're humble so that we can, we can feel less guilty when we're around other people that we follow the example of Jesus. But never get to the actual heart issues that you don't believe you're a son. That you don't believe God is always and only good. And so you can never actually get there. And so you live in this perpetual life of struggle. And we end up as the church. Oh, I'm going to get some emails. We end up as the church calling spiritual maturity just the ability to hide our insecurity behind pretending like we love people and serving people and pretending like we're humble. Instead of actually doing the real work of getting honest about where the real struggle is. Your struggle to love people is not based on some inability you have to love people. Your struggle to love people is based fundamentally on the fact that you don't believe you're loved. If you knew one-tenth of how much you are loved by the Father, you would have more than enough love within you to share it with everyone around you. Sons of God should be the most loving people on the planet. I don't know if you know this. Shh, just you and me real fast. That's not what we're being accused of right now. People are not lining up outside of churches going like, man, these are the most loving people I've ever met. That's not, that's not the accusation against us at this moment in history. And I, I, I think I could run out of breath trying to tell you you need to love people. Or I could tell you that you're loved. Why is this so important? Because Jesus said that we're supposed to follow him in his example. And if we don't have the same substructure, the same footings, the same foundation, we can't build the same house. My wife and I are in the process of, of moving. I've shared this, and some of you are on this journey with us. And a few years ago, we remodeled our kitchen. And when you remodel your kitchen and you have a wife, you, you discover a website called Pinterest. And you see all kinds of really cool kitchens, right? I mean, they're made these, like, gorgeous, beautiful kitchens. And you go, we should do that, or we should do that, or we should build that, or we should do that. And, but, but the reality is you have to walk into your kitchen and go, this is the layout I have. 
this is the space I have. And I can, I can stare at beautiful kitchens, come on, all day long on Pinterest. But if I don't have the same space, come on, if I don't have the same structure to build in, I don't get that kitchen. What I get is a, is a false facsimile of that kitchen. What I'm saying is Jesus, oh, come on, is not just interested in giving you a false facsimile of who he is. He wants to knock out some walls, build some new foundations, expand, push out so that you can be just as he was. We got to have the same substructure. Because, because this is where I told you we're going to get into 13, but we're also not going to get out of 12. 1235. <laughs> we're back. Um. I don't want us to miss this. Jesus speaking here. John chapter 12 now, verse 35. Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, listen, 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 catch this. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. You see, we too are called to be sons. A bunch of you are looking at me right now and I can read your minds. So I'm going to share a story with you real fast. It's probably not historically accurate, but it works for my point, so just go with it. Some of you are more familiar than others with a, a, a guy who lived a few years ago named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, the guy that the kings were named after. Martin Luther was the, the is sort of credited with starting the Reformation. That's arguable, but that's not why we're here today. Um, and and he, he sort of, this, this, this Reformation, this Reformation that happened about uh, 500 years ago happened because he, he stumbled upon in the scriptures uh, the revelation that we are saved by grace through faith. And so he began to teach this, and that got him kicked out of churches. It still does. And, uh, and so he began to teach this. And the story goes that years later, I'm skipping over lots of details in the Reformation, but years later, he's preaching to his congregation, and every week they gather together, and every week he preaches the truth of the gospel to them. Eventually, some well-meaning parishioners, the story goes, comes to Martin Luther, and they, man, this whole thing, the 99 Thesis thing, man, you nailed that. And um, two of you got that joke. And if you didn't laugh, shame on you. Um, and and, and we're, we're all into that thing, and, and we're really happy that, you know, we're, we're, we're freed from the religious bondage we're in before, and, man, this gospel thing, like, we're all, all cool with that. But um, here's the deal, Pastor. Um, every time we come in here, dude, like, you preach the same message to us. Like, all you do is preach the gospel to us. Kind of implying, right, like, we're ready for, like, Round two, what's, what comes next? It's been years, bro. Like, let's, let's move on. And Martin Luther says this to them. He said, I preach the gospel to you every week because week after week you come in here looking like a people that don't believe the gospel. Thus implying, once you actually believe the gospel, I'll teach you something else. Let me say, I keep yelling at you that you're a son of God because week after week you walk in here looking like you don't believe you're a son of God. And I can say that about you because I can say it about me. 
I need to hear this. I need to be reminded because there's so much evidence in my own life, some produced by me and some produced by others, that I'm not a son. And yet all of that mountain of evidence has yet to alter one single word in this text. And so if Jesus says that we are to be sons of light, that we're to be sons like him, that we're supposed to follow this example, we have to believe that we are sons. So how do we be sons of light? We're going to do this real fast. Jesus lays it out here. I'm literally just following along in the text. We walk in the light. We walk in the light. To walk is to live in union with your devotion. Walking in the light does not mean some sort of elevated moral perfection that you get to wear as a badge over other people. Well, I walk in the light and they walk in the darkness. I can tell because they wear beer t-shirts. Clearly they walk in darkness. I saw them go into an R-rated movie. Darkness. I don't do any of that. I only already movie I've ever seen was about Jesus. <laughs> and my youth pastor took me to it, so that's okay. <laughs> Walking in the light, when you, when you dig into what, the, what Jesus is really saying here, when you dig into it, what he's saying is, I'm calling you to walk, to live out your life in union, in harmony, in agreement to the devotion you actually have. Let me say it another way. To walk in the light is to, to live your life in such a way that your external actions are always in agreement with your internal affections. We walk in the light. We, 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 we live not incongruent lives. We've talked about this, amen? This is, this is all overview, but, but I, I don't want us to miss this as we go into this idea of following the example of Jesus, that, that we don't follow to be something, we follow because we are something, amen? Jesus is the light, so we li you live your life in the singular devotion to Jesus. We don't pretend, we don't hide, we simply walk in open honesty and transparency with Jesus, come on, and with those we, we, we live our lives with, amen? I think this is so important, come on, that we get, we get really real with each other. Like, like we, we, you, you got to, you got, no, okay, now I got to be careful. You got to find a group of people <laughs> that you can be real with. Right? This is, this is this, what I'm, what I, let, me, let me do it this way. What I'm not saying is that we become a community that, like, you just walk over, you know, into, like, the, the next time you walk into McDonald's, you'll be like, hey, guess what? I've been looking at porn all day. I can't decide whether they're going to have the filet of fish or the Big Mac. And everyone around you is like, what? I'm walking in the light. <laughs> just being open. I'm just, I'm just, here, here's what we said. I'm just being real. Like, no, uh, no. Maybe do that with some people that can actually bear that weight. Come on, somebody. That can actually help you walk in that thing. Can I, can I tell you something? There is a gigantically huge chasm in between confession and repentance.
well, I confessed, but did you repent? Because confession just means you told somebody. Repentance means you admitted it and you abandoned it. We walk in the light. Next thing, I said I was going fast, but it's so not true. Walk in the light. Next thing Jesus tells us to do is believe in the light. We've talked about this a lot. shouldn't take a lot of time. Believe does not mean to, 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 to uh, somehow confess that it happened. Believe doesn't mean that I agree with the factual reality that Jesus existed. The, the, the Greek word here is, is, is so significant and so powerful. It's the same one it, it, later in John in 20 that he says he wrote the gospel that you might believe. It literally means to embrace and entrust. You simply say, I believe, people say this, I believe in God. Like, I acknowledge the blatantly obvious reality that he exists. Good for you. But do you believe in him? Do you embrace and entrust your life to him? Let me put it another way. Do you live your life in such a way that if Jesus is not exactly who he says he is, your life is ruined? If, 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 if what Jesus said is not the bedrock foundational truth of existence, then my life is of no value. Can we say that? Can we say, let, let, me, let me put it to you another way, a way that you probably think is darkness. If life is a game of poker, which is darkness, Have, and your, your hand that you're dealt is just Jesus, are you willing to take all the chips and push them in the middle of the table? Or are you kind of holding some stuff back because just in case this hand doesn't win? I know none of you know what I'm talking about. This is all going over here because none of you have ever gambled before because it's darkness. Because they serve alcohol there. Walk in the darkness. Come on. Believe in the darkness. Abandon all else for the, for the, come on, for the fidelity of our fellowship with him. He's all I've got. If, if, he's, if he's not exactly who he says he is, to, 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 to grab a phrase from, from, from C.S. Lewis, right? If he's a liar or if he's a lunatic and he's not Lord, then I'm lost. Not in just one way. Not, listen, 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 listen. What I'm saying is this. And, and I'm, I'm going to walk on a really, 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 really slippery ground here. But walk with me. What I'm saying is that if somehow someone was able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the truth that Jesus never existed, that he never did anything that he said he did, that it was all a lie and made up, would anything other than your Sunday morning change in your life? It's just a question. What Jesus says is if we want to be sons of light, we have to believe in the light. Jesus is that light. We embrace him and we entrust him. So come on, when the field comes around and I'm digging through the field and I haven't found a treasure yet, I keep digging because I've embraced him and I've entrusted my life to him. Lastly, we become the light. And this, this is the part where, where we're going to have to take some time to walk through together over the next several weeks and months and years and decades and probably centuries as the people of God. 
because we're, we're, not, we're not just called to know the light or to experience the light. We're called to become that light. Creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. Not for God, but for his sons. Interesting, don't have time to get into this. The, the, the Greek word for light that Jesus uses in these verses in chapter 12 is false. He says he's the light, walk in the light. Foss, foss, foss. And then he says, so that you could become sons of photos, which means bearers of light. So you're called to have, not just to experience that light. Remember, 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 do not forget this. This story, chapter 12, the, the, this portion of the story starts with some Greek people, remember, coming to see Jesus and Jesus' weird cryptic response to Philip and Andrew. Right? Greek people come to Philip. Hey, we want to see Jesus. And Philip's like, I ain't going alone. Andrew, you're coming with me. And they go to Jesus and sheepishly kind of walk up to him and they're like, um, Jesus, we know it's against the rules, but there's some Greek dudes that want to see you. What do you think? And Jesus goes, verily, verily, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. Peter, <laughs> Philip and Andrew are like, what do you think that means? <laughs> so is that like a bring him in or a no? Like, Because like, <laughs> last time we bought a Greek person to you, you called him a dog. And we don't want that making headlines again, okay? Like, there's going to be an idiot pastor in like 2,000 years that's going to say something stupid about that. So we don't want that to happen again. So, um, like, yes or no? And what we saw when we do dug into that text, what really was happening was Jesus was saying, listen, I've come to the point in my life now where I'm about to go and you have to be able, you have to be able to not just bring them to me, but show them me. Jesus here is getting to the point where he's trying to show them we walk in the light. Come on. We, we, we allow our life, our external life to match our internal life. We believe, we embrace, and we entrust our lives only and always to Jesus. And when those things happen, we don't just experience light. We become conduits of that light. Uh, again, I, I want to just point out because I, I don't want to get emails about this. Capital the light for number one, capital the light for number two, lowercase for number three. We are not teaching here that you get to become, a, you know, God and someday have your own little planet. There's another group that does that. That's not us. And they're wrong. 